This morning, God's Word comes to us from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We are going to begin our reading at verse 5 and then read through verse 11 of this chapter. Romans 8, beginning at verse 5, what we hear now is God's word. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 872 in the back section. This is the Heidelberg Catechism. And this morning, we are going to read together uh, question two, and then questions three, four, and five. Question two, and then questions three, four, and five. So I will ask the question. You can respond together with the answer. From page 872, question two. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Question three, how do you come to know your misery? Question four, what does God's law require of us? Question five, can you live up to all this perfectly? Well, last week we began a new sermon series studying the Word of God as it's summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we talked about the glorious truth that we belong to God. 
Our comfort is not found in what we have. Our comfort is not found in what we can do. Our comfort is not found in who we are. Our comfort is found in the fact that we belong to God, body and soul, in life and in death. The glorious comfort of belonging. And now the catechism goes on to say, in order to embrace, in order to appreciate this glorious fundamental truth, we belong to God, what is it that we need to know? It asks the question this way, how many things must we know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer is there are three things necessary to have this knowing that we belong to God. First, a knowledge of our sin and misery. Second, a knowledge of our deliverance in Jesus Christ. And third, that we must thank God for such a glorious gift. The knowledge of the comfort of belonging to God begins with a knowledge of our sin and misery. If there is ever a charge made against Calvinistic churches, it is that all you guys want to talk about is sin. You're always talking about sin. Well, that may seem like the case at times, but I would suggest as an answer to that, it's because the world never wants to talk about sin. And so anything we say seems much more than you hear in the world out there. But yes, we do begin with our understanding of the glories of the gospel by recognizing that we are fallen and sinful. Without that recognition, there is no need for the gospel. If I'm doing pretty well, if on my own I can take care of myself, what do I need Christ for? My life is just fine. It's only when I begin to recognize my fallenness and my sin and the fact that I can't do anything about it that I say someone else must do something. I need something beyond me. Knowing, knowing who we are, knowing our sin and misery, is that beginning of the appreciation of knowing what God has done for us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we talk about knowing our sin and misery. And again, maybe in some sense, uh, we'd say, do, do you really have to talk about that? Do you really have to demonstrate that? Just look at the world around us. Look at what's happening in the world today. And, and again, even the unbeliever recognizes there is misery in the world. There's crime, there's war, there's disease, there's poverty, there's injustice. Yes, there is misery in the world. But they fail to recognize that is a result of sin. Now, we don't mean by that that anyone who has any difficulty has a particular sin in their life which has caused that. No, but, but sin has affected everything around us. We see the effects of sin and I have to understand that this is where our misery comes from. It is rooted in the problem of sin, the fundamental problem of the world. The fundamental problem of the world is not injustice, it's not poverty, it's not famine. The fundamental problem 
is that we are fallen and sinful. And that condition affects everything around us. This is true in the world. This is true in the church as well. We in the church will still go through times of difficulty, of hardship, of misery. It is the effects of sin in our life. Sometimes of our own sinful personal choices, that will affect us very directly. But sometimes it is the nature of sin, frailty in body and mind, fear, anxiety, all the results of the sinful world in which we live. Understanding the true nature of our misery is understanding it is rooted in sin itself. Because when I, when I begin to recognize that, that it's not just a condition out there, I recognize the problem of sin is mine, not just someone else's. It's so easy for us when we find ourselves in, in, in a bad place in life to blame someone else. Who's to blame for my miserable condition? Who's to blame for where I am? Well, I, I, I blame my parents. Because, you see, if they had just raised me differently, I'd be a different person. I wouldn't be where I am today. Or I blame my spouse. If my spouse was just more like this, whatever this might be. Or I blame my children. If my children weren't so, so much like this, I'd be in a different place. I blame my employer. I blame the government for what's going on. I blame everybody else. But, but myself. When I recognize the true nature of my misery, it is because of my sinful condition. Paul says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. A mind set not on the things of God, not on the things of righteousness, but a mind set on my sin, set on my own willful desires, self-indulgence, greed, avarice, all of these things. The problem is mine and my heart where that sin resides. And what's the result of that setting our minds on the flesh? Paul says in verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's not a small problem. This is the result of unchecked sin. The end is death. The fact that we have chosen against God, we have chosen for the flesh, we have chosen against righteousness, we have embraced unrighteousness, this is, this is the nature of my fallen, miserable, sinful condition the condition I find myself in, outside of any grace of God, what I have earned for myself. Paul goes on to explain how pervasive the full extent of that misery in my life. He says in verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. The extent of my misery is I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I don't embrace the law of God. That law, which is perfect. That law, which leads in the paths of righteousness. That law, which is the way of peace. 
that law, which is the way of blessing. I reject all of that. I don't want that in my life. Rather than the peace and comfort of walking God's ways, I live in danger. And I live in fear of death. Not the comfort of walking in the ways of God. The law of God points out my sinful condition. That's, that's question three in our catechism. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. And what does that law require? Question four. In summary, we are taught it is to love God and to love our neighbor. This is the essence of the law of God. Loving him and loving my neighbor. But what is my natural inclination? The mind of the flesh does not submit to God. Question five, can you live up to all this perfectly? No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. The law says love God and love my neighbor. What's my natural inclination? To hate God and to hate my neighbor. This is, this is, this is, this is the nature, the extent of my misery. Not, not a little bit off course, but exactly opposite from what God has called me to do. He's called me to love him. He's called me to love my neighbor. What's my natural inclination? To hate God and to hate my neighbor. And as bad as that is, Paul says it's even worse. It's even worse. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Notice, indeed it cannot. The, the mind set on the flesh cannot submit to the law of God. This is the ultimate extent of our misery. Not only is it the case that we do not keep the law. The truth is we cannot keep the law. We are fallen. We are sinful. Some people would say, well, just, just do what's right. Just do what's right and things will get better. That's the problem. We cannot do what's right. The law set, the mindset and the law of God cannot submit to that law. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Not just that they do not, they cannot. That's the ultimate extent of our misery. Notice question 5. Question five doesn't say, do you live up to all this perfectly? It doesn't ask that question. The question is, can you live up to all this perfectly? No, I have a natural inclination to hate God and to hate my neighbor. That's misery. Not only that I do not keep the law of God, but left to myself, I cannot keep the law of God. It is a problem that we cannot fix ourselves. There's nothing I can do to fix the problem of my sin and misery. And again, think of the words we read earlier in Romans chapter 3 when Paul gives us that, that litany of despair. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The ultimate extent of our misery. And then these pictures of our, of our, of our body. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they deceive. The, voice, the, the venom of asp is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet swift to shed blood. 
Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the extent and the nature of our fallen, sinful condition. Sin is not a matter of just breaking a couple rules. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just, you just broke a little rule. No, it's my fallenness. It's my sinfulness. And, and, and left to myself, I have absolutely no hope. Paul, in the, in the previous chapter, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He paints this honest but very dark picture of who we are left to ourselves, the mind of the flesh. But Paul also paints more. He gives us more of the story. When describing those according to the flesh, those whose minds are set on the flesh, their end is death. But verse 9, you, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. God didn't leave us. God didn't leave us in that fallen, desperate condition. But he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin and misery. He gave us his Son, and the Son gave us the Spirit. We have this beautiful picture that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You have life. You have true life because of righteousness. What is this righteousness he refers to? Is it my righteousness? It's the righteousness of Christ himself. Christ came and did what we could not do. We can't keep the law. Christ perfectly kept the law. He did all of it right. And all of his perfection and all of his righteousness is then granted and credited to his people. To those who are found in him. It's not my righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. One from someone else. And yet that is our glorious hope. That God doesn't leave us to ourselves in that fallen, sinful, miserable condition. But he sends his son, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, we are engrafted into Christ. And his righteousness is granted and credited to us. He did what we could not do. Keeping the law perfectly. And so Paul says... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life. This wonderful truth that we have life now and life forever. Our final destiny is not the grave our final destiny is to be with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. Again from verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the Spirit, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. 
So that the mind and the spirit is life and peace. Our minds are now set on the things of God. Because his spirit dwells in us. Because he is, he is active and living within us. We now begin... We begin to live in a way that is pleasing to God. We have, a, we have a small beginning of our obedience of the law. Not because of who we are, because Christ working in us. We set our minds on the things of God that we might bring glory to Him. Glory to Him in our homes. Glory to Him in our relationships with our spouse. We set our mind on the things of the Spirit. How would God have me treat my husband? How would God have me treat my wife? Our minds are set on these things by the power of the Spirit. How is it that we, that we raise our children, that we fulfill our baptismal vows of, of teaching them the glorious truths of the faith? Our mind is set on raising them in the fear of the Lord. Our mind is set in all that we do of doing what God would have us do. Not looking first to our own interests, but how can I bring the most glory to him? The glorious redemption we have in Jesus Christ. And this is for all, it is for all who embrace Jesus Christ by faith. This, this, this glorious hope is for those who, who recognize their own fallenness, who recognize their own sinfulness, but who know God has not left me to myself. He has given me Jesus Christ, and in him is all that I need for salvation. And he calls you today, put your faith and hope in him. Put your trust in him. Stop trying to do it on your own. You cannot keep the law of God. But Christ has done everything necessary. He has offered his blood to wash away your sins. He has given us his righteousness credited to us. He's done everything necessary to secure our salvation. Embrace him as your Lord and as your Savior, knowing your sin and misery, but knowing also the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new life. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for you and for your word. And from the knowledge that comes through that word, oh, we know, oh God, that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we embrace that glorious truth because we recognize that we are those who stand in need of a Savior. We are those who are fallen and sinful. Thank you, oh God, for sending your Son to deliver us, to do everything necessary to secure a salvation for us. And help us, O oh God, because of that, to set our minds on the things above. To set our minds on things which will bring glory to you and to show you our gratitude for the glorious gift of salvation. Thank you, O oh God, for all of your goodness in Jesus Christ. Lord God, hear us as we pray. In his name, amen.